this folder's open and he's showing me all this and he said, now tell me again how this is going to work with volunteers and, you know, and I said, well, somebody comes in, needs a meal, doesn't have the money to pay for it. And he goes, whoa, he goes like, like the homeless. And I was like, yeah, the homeless, the underserved. And then he closes his folder. He closed his folder, doesn't even realize he's done it and kind of pushes it across the, you know, midway across the table and says, well, you know, I, I just can't do it for less than this, and I'd have to have a five-year contract. And I was In just, other words, we don't want you. Exactly. Welcome to an Army of Normal Folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and I've been a football coach in inner-city Memphis, and the last part unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox, but rather by an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Amy Crenshaw, the voice we just heard, has done. Amy is the founder of Community Cafe, a nonprofit restaurant in Jackson, Tennessee, that has no prices and only a suggested donation for your meal. And if you can't afford to pay, you simply volunteer for an hour for your meal. This unbelievable model allows the whole community to come together like never before, with long family-style tables where folks like doctors, construction workers, and even the homeless dine together, side by side, every day. You heard how Amy got some pushback at first, but they're still going strong almost 10 years later. And I think there should be one of these things in every community across our country. And this is not the only extraordinary thing that Amy's done, as you're about to hear, right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're gonna get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you, here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. <laughs> but it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta 
visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Amy Crenshaw, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm <laughs> I'm great. It's uh it's so good to have you with us. I have a thousand questions for you. Um, obviously, we're going to get to Community Cafe, spelled C-O-M-E, capital U-N-I-T-Y, community, Community Cafe, and what that's about. But I want to I want to hear more about you. Um, I want to know about the the chick behind Community Cafe <laughs> that has. 10 children and is from Memphis and there's just, you're just kind of cool. So I want to hear about you. Where, you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Germantown. Germantown, um, Tennessee. Yes. Which yes. is a suburb of Memphis. Right, right. It's, it's not, I, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's upper middle class, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. Brothers, sisters? Uh, I had four brothers um, growing up. I went to Germantown High School yeah. and then went to Methodist School of Nursing. Uh, did you, are you a nurse? Memphis. I am a nurse. A, did, did you work? What you work? I worked at? in labor and delivery at Methodist Hospital Central until Methodist Hospital North opened up. Uh, I guess I did OB nursing for about eight years, and then our first were son. You, were you getting practice for having a bunch of kids? Yourself? Yes, I was getting practice. Yeah, yes, I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, our first child was born on December twenty first. I was supposed to be working the last two of my um, night shifts before I quit. Really? Um, <laughs> because mm -hmm. you wanted to be a, a I wanted mom? to be a stay home mom. Got yep, it. Absolutely. And uh, went into work, and things picked up. Uh, Personally, and he was born that uh, the next morning, so no didn't finish. Well, out at least my shift. at least you were there. At least I was there. Yes, yeah. came home. My husband had been on call the night that night. Your husband, the night before. His he's husband. A, he's he, a doctor. He's a physician. Mm -hmm. Got it. And he had been on call. What kind? He's a cardiologist. Got it. And he was actually in his fellowship, but he had been on call and came home before I went to work and said, 
Just so you know, tonight would not be a good night if you had this baby because I am wiped out. And I was like, I still have three weeks. I'm no problem. Good. Don't sweat it. Went to work. Yeah, my water broke. And I called him and said, hey, I'm coming home for a little while. And he said, what? And I said, mm-hmm. Yep, we're going to have a baby. And he was like, I told you this was not a good night. But, you know. Babies come when they do. That's so, unreal. So, yep. um, and then stayed home after. So, a nurse uh, married to a doc and just starting your family in, mm-hmm. in I guess, Germantown or Memphis area. Mm-hmm. Memphis. Mm-hmm. Right. But you live in Jackson now. We do. We live in Jackson now. When he finished his um, fellowship. Uh, Jackson, sorry, Jackson, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yes, yeah, sorry. Right, sure. <laughs> just down the road. Right. Um, and someday they'll probably both grow together, I they think. They might if yeah. it keeps going. It, it's heading that way. That's right. Um, two of our children were born here in Memphis. Um, one of them, the third one was born in Jackson shortly after we moved there. And then about six years later, we started adopting. All right. So I I can't wait to hear about that because I only understand a little bit and we're going to share it with everybody. But how old is your oldest child? He just turned 33. All right. And your youngest is? Uh, Getting ready to be 17. (laughs) Holy smokes. That's a lot of kids in between that That's 16 That's a lot years. of kids. So you had you had four naturally. We had three naturally. Three naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then we you adopted. decided to start adopting. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I think I think I read that we're talking Ethiopia and China. Ethiopia and China. Okay. Yep. You got to give me the background on that and the reasons and everything. Yeah. Which, first of all, I think is beautiful and I mean, when you guys gather around the Thanksgiving dinner table, it must look like the United Nations. That's that's what we always say. We've got the United Nations under one roof. I love it. Yeah. So tell me about it. So at church in Jackson, there was a middle-aged couple there. I was going to say young, but they weren't so young. But they had moved back to Jackson. They had been living in um, Guangzhou, China. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was with PNG. And they Proctor had brought, mm-hmm, and yep. I think they had brought home twin baby girls that they had adopted, and they were very good and very vocal about sharing about the one-child law and also the plight of baby girls. If, well, we'll t- talk about that in China. Okay. Well, there's not a one-child law anymore. I think, but there was. There was, yes. In the probably, gosh, that started. I just heard the other day. I should remember the dates, but maybe in the 70s or 80s that started. And then that actually ended sometime in maybe mid-2000. I I don't know if what I've read is true or not, Mm -hmm. or even if I'm imagining that I read something, but I'm going to ask you because obviously you would know. But my understanding is that the one-child law was that the government was were only allowing couples to have one child, mm-hmm. which meant that couples really wanted boys so mm-hmm. they could continue their bloodline. And often if they had a girl, they would, this sounds horrible, but they would give the child up for adoption, leave in an orphanage, or sometimes throw them in the water Yeah, they and would drown simply, them. They would simply abandon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they wanted their one child to be mm-hmm. a male. Yeah. And, and males, I think, I might be misquoting this, but 
technically by law are required to take care of their parents in their old age, so they definitely wanted a boy. Oh, so um, the parents wanted a boy, so they had a caretaker. Yes, and also to carry on, yeah, I, I, obviously to carry on the bloodline. I boy get it, line. but hearing all of that and revisit, I hadn't thought about this mm-hmm. in ages, but revisiting that is, that's, that's horrific. It is really. horrific. It is. It's very sad. So this couple comes back to your church from China, and they have twin daughters. Twin daughters. Most Mm -hmm. likely abandoned because of the one-child law. They were. And as a matter of fact, it's a funny story, and and I'm probably getting this wrong, totally wrong, but it was something like the wife had heard about, you know, the adoptions and the plight of the baby girls, and they had older, grown children that I don't think lived with them at the time. I think they were all grown and flown. Um, (laughs) Grown and flown. Um, But she said, the wife said to the husband one day when he got home, she said, you know, I need to tell you this story I heard today. So she was talking about the children. She said, I really think we need to adopt. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, probably not. But I tell you what, if the Lord abandons one on our doorstep, well, no, Are you kidding? No, no. If the, the Lord abandons goes, one on our doorstep, we'll, we'll keep it. it. Yeah. And? And. So <laughs> she supposedly was, you know, had gone about her day one day and was walking up the stairwell because a lot of the buildings don't have elevators or escalators. Walking up the stairs to their apartment on the fifth floor, seventh floor, whatever it was. And there's babies. And there's two babies. Abandoned. Abandoned. Some would say the Lord dropped yes. some babies on their doorstep. <laughs> the Lord dropped those babies on their doorstep. Okay, so they show up in Jackson with these babies. Yep. Well, and they're great about sharing the whole story. Well, that's great, but the Lord didn't drop any Chinese babies on your doorstep in Jackson. No, 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 no. <laughs> so our youngest daughter at the time was probably, gosh, she was probably four. Yeah. Uh, Kara. And Kara, ironically, is the one that's married and isn't really sure she wants to be a mom. So it's really kind of funny because she was the one that would say every night in her prayers, she'd say her prayers and then she'd get through and she goes, and God, please let daddy change his heart about bringing a baby home from China. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So precious. Um, And my husband was quite resistant, he would say. And just said, Amy, I don't have time. He was in the busiest time in his practice. He's a cardiologist. He's got a practice. He already has a wife and three children. Exactly. It's a big step. And he said, I don't have time for the ones we have. And that makes me feel guilty. Right. And my not immediate comeback, but later on, I said to him, but don't you think that one parent that's a full-time parent and then has the support of the second parent is better than no parents at all? Better than a child languishing in an orphanage? And, and I think that got and to And very him. unwanted yeah. in that country. Yeah. So anyways, he started asking his men's group, uh, men's prayer group, Bible study group, to pray about it with him, and they did. And there were, a little background, there were four guys in his practice at that point. Um, they're now 10 big but there were four guys, and one of them was leaving. When he came home that night, he said, Dr. Chip's leaving, and, I, I, you know, it's going to be crazy. And I said, well, I guess it's not a really good time to talk about adopting then, huh? And he said, 
you know, as a matter of fact, I think we need to do it. Wow. And he likes to, he likes to tell people that, that don't tell Amy that something can happen because it'll happen the Immediately, next day. if not sooner. He, he would like to tell you that I had... I had already called the adoption agency the next day and had all the paperwork done. It didn't really happen like that. But May was home with us within a year of that time. So <laughs> that was child four, first adoption. That was child four, first adoption. And then you decided, let's go to Africa because no. that sounds good too. <laughs> no, we decided to go back to China because we thought, hey, we need a boy. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But Cooper came next about two years later, and that was about a year-long practice or uh, process. And then let's see, then Leah came home, and Leah is autistic, and she has a seizure disorder. And Did you know this when you adopted no, her? No, we knew she had a seizure disorder. and um, Okay, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, I have... My wife, Lisa, who is my compass and the light of my life, her brother, who when I started dating Lisa 32 years ago, Ben was, I think, eight. So Ben's grown up with me and I've grown up with Ben. Ben's my brother-in-law, but he's more like my brother and he's special needs. Mm -hmm. And he is a lot of work. Um, now he is a lot of joy. <laughs> He's a lot of joy and we love him and he don't misunderstand, but he is a lot of work. How, when you're, when children with disabilities or difficulties are born to you naturally, that's what God gives you and you do the best you can. Mm-hmm. It's a whole nother thing to choose that. <laughs> And I have always wondered when a, when when parents adopt a child that has issues, knowingly brings into their home that's going to require more time, effort, work, mm-hmm. and and let's be honest, heartache. Mm-hmm. But they do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to me, there's a spe- <laughs> there's a special place in heaven for folks that do that. Mm-hmm. And so you're telling me. You had your choice of babies in China, and you chose one that had a seizure disorder. That and if 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 a child has a seizure disorder, an infant, you're a nurse, a pediatric nurse, and your husband's a doctor. You had to know there was a probability of other problems. Yeah, yeah. But um, you did it anyway, did which is amazing. It, yeah, we did think it was a simple seizure disorder. Um, well, not so simple, but we did think it was a seizure disorder, but didn't know that there was anything else. And and yeah, there's always the what ifs, but there's always what ifs with, you know, any of the other kids we adopted or even what ifs with our own children. But why um, did you make that decision knowing the difficulty when there were well, babies that of, didn't have that? Yeah, part of Leah's story actually just kind of pulled us in also. We had gone to a children's home that uh, run by American missionaries in China one summer, took a small group from our church, and we met Leah. And Leah, the story I think goes that she had um, she had paperwork in. She was supposed to be adopted by a couple that was living in Beijing and would maybe teaching English or I don't know what they were doing, but they would come and see her every weekend, and they even got permission from the orphanage director to take her home occasionally to their home, and they wanted to adopt her. Well, they backed out of the adoption. And How old was Leah? She was 
two, two and a half or three at the time. So she had already started probably bonding a little with these. She folks. had. She had started bonding with these people. And that is so sad. Yeah, it was. It was really sad. And we. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but and and it's kind of, it, it's very much a god thing that we didn't know about her other difficulties and that i i think he almost protected us from knowing some of her other difficulties <laughs> in order to get her in our house i don't know what you know i yeah it i don't even know what to say about all that but but we did not know she was autistic we did know that she had a temper like a tasmanian devil <laughs> <laughs> and she had no manners because the nannies at the orphanage would literally give her whatever she wanted because to they, keep her shut up. Yeah, they thought that if they enabled it. Well, yeah, they did. And they also thought that because of her seizure disorder, if they caused her to get upset, she would have a seizure. Good grief. Yeah. So she Which was, ultimately didn't serve her well at all. No. Right. No, not at all. Um, funny story is, is that shortly after we got home with her, I love this story. We have animals. So we had dogs and we had a friend of ours um, staying with us that was a Chinese lady. And another long, long story. She was here having her second child. Hmm. Because, oh, because she, of the one child mm-hmm, rule. Yeah. So right. she had gotten over here and yeah. Anyways, we're sitting there eating lunch and Leah didn't really even speak much Mandarin and speak and wasn't picking up on English at all. But she said to this lady, she said something in Leonese or whatever she was speaking in, but the woman understood. And she said, hmm. she said, I like the dog, but my mom has a big nose. (laughs) 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 And I thought, okay, this is probably going to be okay. Well, (laughs) it was kind of okay. Leah. Yeah. um, Just put it this way. Leah can be very aggressive. She's teeny tiny, um, but she she does have just, she wants to smack you. She'll smack you, although she's doing a whole lot better. But the going joke at our house is, with our older kids getting married now, you really have not become part of the family until, until Leah, Leah just smacks you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Wow. Um, All right. So you have yeah. that, and now you're going to Ethiopia? Nope. Not yet. Oh. Not yet. So we've got Leah. Oh, so back up to when we brought Cooper home, we were on vacation when the adoption agency called and said, hey, we have two boys that you might want to look at. Um, And we always went special needs, (laughs) Um, simple special needs. May had a cleft lip that had been repaired in China, no cleft palate involvement. Cooper had a cleft lip and cleft palate that were both repaired and were beautiful repair jobs. Leah, her seizure disorder. And then Mac had been one of those two boys, believe it or not, that we chose between when we adopted Cooper. And the only reason I really remembered that was, one, he was from this tiny island off the southern tip of China, Hainan Dao, and he was from Haiko City. And two, his picture, he had on a bright Hawaiian print shirt, and he had the biggest, goofiest smile on his face. <laughs> and I said, he looks like, do you remember the Robin Williams movie, Polly? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, he looked like... The Robin Williams of China. He was the goofiest, <laughs> cutest looking kid I'd ever seen. Well, when I, somebody, you know, back then there were a lot of um, 
Facebook adoption groups and whatnot. And I was usually only on the ones that my kids were from that area or even specific orphanages. Well, somebody was advocating for this young fella. He was six years old. And they said his paperwork had been with three other orphanages or three other adoption agencies. And if he didn't get adopted soon, and and my husband and I had already kind of started talking about maybe adopting one more boy. So they said if he doesn't get adopted soon and his paperwork was returned to the civil affairs office in China, that he would be declared unadoptable. And I was like, What happens with a child that's claimed unadoptable? They usually stay in the orphanage and then may end up working in the orphanage. But my understanding, and again, I, I don't know this is true, that once they're 18, if they're not asked to stay and work at the orphanage, that they're kind of turned out. I don't know and that that's what do true. what do they do? <clears throat> I don't know. So anyways, I called That's my... That's also horrific. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of horrific things in the whole world. Well, there is a lot of horrific things. Yeah. There, but germane <laughs> to this conversation, that is... That's sad. It is. It's very sad. Anyways, I called my husband at work. I mean, the truth is you <laughs> and your husband are saving lives. I hope so. You probably... Yeah. I know that your, your humility probably keeps you from saying absolutely but i'm gonna say it i mean <laughs> you're saving lives we at least made a difference in their life let's you sure did way. so um, you get so anyways i see this picture of this child and i was like this cannot be did so, you name him robin <laughs> no you should have <laughs> no i know <laughs> but i before i called my husband and said you are never going to believe this. I called a friend of mine. Well, I called the adoption agency and that he was listed with. And I said, any chance you can find out if this young man has been with Bethany Christian Services, who we had used? And she said, you know, I don't know, but I've got a friend that works for Bethany. I'll call her and see if his paperwork has been with Bethany. She calls me back within a half an hour and said, Amy, she said he was with Bethany I get goosebumps telling this story. He was listed with Bethany, and you guys looked at him two years ago. Wow. And I said, okay. Okay. <laughs> Let me call my husband. We're so, about to have yeah, another yeah, baby. Yeah, we're about to have another boy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I called my husband, and he said, absolutely. And now, a few messages from our generous sponsors. But first... We're now offering premium memberships for the Army of Normal Folks. For 10 bucks a month, you'll receive special benefits, such as being invited to a private yearly call with other premium members and me, access to monthly Ask Me Anything episodes, and occasional bonus audio. If you're interested in this, I hope you go to normalfolks.us and click on premium. But guys... That's really not what it's about. You get all that cool stuff, and we're going to provide all that stuff. But the truth is, we're trying to, to grow the army of normal folks and have a greater impact on the country. And with the premium memberships, we can fuel our marketing efforts to grow it. This podcast peaked at number 10 on Apple's podcast chart in all of the U.S., which is absolutely crazy. And it's not about me. It's about the guest, and it's about you. So we've decided to set an exciting new goal of trying to be on Apple's top shows chart for our entire first year. 
which will mean more tension, more listeners, more Army members, and most importantly, more impact. But we need you, as always. So go to normalfolks.us and click on premium if you're down to help. If not, just keep listening. We'll be right back. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Chris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think I got it now. Let me <laughs> let me ask this. 
So you adopted all the kids in China and had to go to Ethiopia because there were none left? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe something like that. Okay. (laughs) Now, in the meantime, we had gotten involved with Shohana's Hope, Stephen and Mary Beth Chapman's adoption assistance program in Nashville. And we were at their fundraiser one November, fabulous fabulous weekend and lots of fun and lots of adoption stories and there was some adoption story told about and I can't even remember you know now it's like I I can't even remember the whole story but a couple shared about adopting from Ethiopia and adopting maybe even twins or something I don't know we were doing house church at that point and Jim one night in house church, my husband, Jim, Jim. sorry, just says out of the clear blue, something about, yeah, I think somebody said in our house group, house church group said, well, do y'all think you're done adopting? And Jim goes, well, I don't know. We might, we might need to go get twin boys from Ethiopia. And I kind of looked at him like, you have lost your mind. What are you talking about? I, this is new to me. But we started talking about it and just felt like it was a good thing to do. And next question is, why twin boys or why two boys? And my husband will simply tell you that, you know what? All of us are Caucasian. We all had light skin. Um, The Chinese, there were four of them that, you know, kind of were all bonded together. Here's this group of Caucasians, this group of Chinese. and, And we didn't want one child to be the only dark-skinned child in the family. I mean, hate to say it. Well, now that's it, really that's, interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He just said, I don't want one of our children to ever feel like... He's alone. He's alone. Or, or she's alone. Or different. Yeah. So we started the process, and on my 50th birthday... Whew, that was a long time ago. <laughs> on my 50th birthday... Our adoption agency calls and she said, well, I don't have twins for you, but I have the next best thing. And she said, I have a set of full siblings that are six and three. And they were absolutely the cutest little fellas I'd ever seen. And I said, Debbie, I said, today's my 50th birthday. I said, I will just tell you that Jim will say yes. Wow. So, yeah, within a year, we were over there picking them up. Yeah. And they are absolutely the most magical, kind, sweet, loving. I I could go on and on about those two. All right. So (laughs) when y'all go to Walmart. (laughs) We don't go to Walmart. When you go to Walmart. No, when y'all go to Walmart or maybe you (laughs) shop at Target. But when y'all go, folks have got to look at this clan and wonder what in Lord's name came down from, I mean, what? You, you What's got, going on? Do, I mean, do you ever take the whole clan out to eat uh, we, at a restaurant? Occasionally. That must. Occasionally. I mean, that's people have got to look at you yeah. and say, what in goodness name is going on? Well, and the funniest thing was, even before we started adopting, well, maybe we had, I think maybe we had Matt, May and Cooper. So we probably had five kids. We were teasing our older kids and we told them we were going to buy 12 passenger van well we really did buy a 12 passenger van because we were also sports parents and we always had extra kids our house i'm was surprised the, the 12 spot. passenger got it 
Well, sometimes. I need to get one of those 15 passengers. Yeah, sometimes barely. But anyways, I always, always got, because I I took the kids pretty much everywhere, you know, with me when they were out of school and dad was, you know, still at work or something. Yeah, we'd go. So, yeah, we'd load up and people, I can't tell you how many times people ask me if we were a church nursery, a church group. (laughs) A nursery school. People probably thought you were just the bus driver, not uh, yeah, their mother. Exactly. They did. They <laughs> that really, is so oh, funny. Honestly, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> Lisa and I, when we came up, we were broke. We, Our four kids were four kids in four years, <laughs> meaning they were one, two, three, and four, or yeah. pick a number, four, yeah. five, six, and seven. Yeah. Well, back then, you know the restaurant Charlie's? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, back then on Tuesday, Wednesdays, yep. and Thursdays, kids under 12 ate free. Yep. So we would always go once a week because Lisa <laughs> and I could get a really nice meal yep. and it wouldn't cost that much because all the kids ate free. Yeah. I bet they didn't want to see you coming. I, <laughs> you, I bet they didn't. You could have bankrupted them. Yeah. But now, once those boys grew some, they were like, oh, come on, because let me tell you. Oh, those boys can eat. Those boys can eat. There's still three of them at home, and they can eat. Well, let's talk about eating. <laughs> okay, that's, let's talk about because honestly, the <clears throat> that in and of itself is worthy of being a, a member of the army of normal folks because. <laughs> A girl who grows up in a middle-class suburban neighborhood in Germantown and gets her nursing degree, and she and her husband feel called to have all of those children. And and, and that's just an amazing story. But the reason I wanted to get into that is to just kind of to – I think it speaks to your heart, and I think it speaks to your sense of service and the enormous amount of – love and concern you have to have for just people to create the family you've created is beautiful and it's actually hilarious i mean i i is casey jones still yeah. in jackson yeah they got the buffet in there oh, with yeah. the fried catfish and everything <laughs> you ever took that crew to that thing um we probably have been there i don't know if it was the whole crew or not but oh. ironically we were just there right before christmas because woodmen of the world did something for the cafe and then they had everybody yeah I, yeah woodmen they, of the world is still around mm-hmm. i'll sure. be dad go yeah. so y'all woodmen of the world is a life insurance company that's actually a nonprofit So they invest what would be their profits back into their communities as donations. You're not going to believe this, but my, um, my father passed away not too long ago and I got a box of old belongings from his father, which is my paternal grandfather, who I was actually very, very not close at all to my, my dad, unfortunately, very close to my grandfather. My grandfather paid basketball and baseball for Ole Miss, and I went to Ole Miss. Oh, cool. So I wanted that picture of him. They actually won the Southern Conference in 1933, and it's a picture of my grandfather in his Ole Miss uniform with his team. So I got a box of stuff nobody else would care about but me, and in it was a, a Woodman of the World <laughs> metal with a red, white, and blue ribbon going down it from the Woodman of the World Convention from the 30s in Brownsville, Tennessee. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's something to hang on to. Well, I do. I have it. When you just said Woodman of the World, I thought I'll be dad gubbed. Yeah. Yeah. I literally just got this a month ago. Small world, isn't it? It is funny the things that you run across. My parents have both been deceased for years, but when we sold our house in Jackson and moved out north, 
to Milan north slash of, Medina, north of Jackson, north of Jackson, sorry, right. and moved out to the country. Some of those boxes had stuff in it that I had not been through for years. Well, our oldest son is a crop duster, owns his own crop dusting. Hold it, your oldest son, the mm-hmm. first one out yeah. of the womb, yeah, the one that came through weeks early. Right. He's a crop duster. He's a crop duster. He flies airplanes he, and and. Is a crop duster. He does yeah. that not scare you? Those guys it, whoop around and come down so you know, low. I know it doesn't. I'm quite an adventurous kind of person. Are you? Well, have you um, ever flown with them? Yes. Doing not, crop not, dusting? No, no, because they're only one seat. Oh, now, if he they? ever if he ever joins the big boys and yeah. buys one of those two seater crop dusters, you're in it. Oh, without a doubt. I've asked him if I could sit in the hopper. So know? maybe I have it wrong. Maybe all these kids isn't because you have a big heart. You just want to do something fun Adventure. and crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or maybe not? a little oh, bit of both. Gosh. <laughs> but anyways, the funny thing was, was, okay, so I've got this son that's a crop duster and owns, you know, a couple planes and, you know, and whatnot. Yeah, doing his thing. Yeah. You know, a couple kind, of a, kind of an air cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And got a second one, actually, that's it. University of Memphis that wants to go to work for FedEx. He's in the pilot program. But anyways, going through my dad's stuff that because we had downsized, believe it or not, because there's not, only three kids at home. And only, I pl- only three, yeah, kids, only at three kids at yeah. home. And I pulled the certificate out and I looked at it and it was my dad's first solo flight certificate and i had totally forgotten that he had ever taken flight lessons wow and he soloed and it actually had you know it was kind of this really cool drawing and it had the tail number on the plane that's so that cool. he flew my son went and looked up the tail number and that plane had just gone out of commission like in 2017 no and this kidding. was back in 1952 is that not crazy? It was crazy. So it is. It's a, yeah. Yes. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> so. way way off subject. Guys, everything has something to do with something. All of this just shows that Amy is a normal person. And if we stop the story right here, Amy Crenshaw would be a heck of a member of the Army of Normal Folks, adopting six kids. But this story is far from over. The story of Community Cafe after the break. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Chris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. 
mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You start Community Cafe. Now, we're going to get into the whole story of it, Mm -hmm. but... The cliff note version is Community Cafe is a cafe in Jackson, Tennessee, where um, anybody gets to eat. That's mm-hmm. why it's Community Cafe, mm-hmm. and it's spelled C-O-M-E-U-N-I-T-Y, com- Community Cafe. And so what I understand is, and I want you to add color to this for us, is that it's a place with really healthy food that if you don't have a dime in your pocket, you can eat and you can be treated with respect. Mm-hmm. You can be retreated with um, decency and served mm-hmm. a really good meal. Mm-hmm. And if you do have just a couple of dollars in your pocket, mm-hmm. you too can be served, even if you can't afford the full price of your meal. But if you come in and your meal is $12 and you got 20 bucks, you can do 20 bucks and help offset the cost of some folks that can't afford to eat. Exactly. That's it. Okay. Well, that's that's weird. How in the <laughs> world did you come up with that? I didn't come up with that. Well, tell me about so, it. So our, um, our three older kids grew up going to a summer camp out in Colorado, a Christian sports camp. Got and it. then this sports camp actually came up with the idea that they were going to offer a gap year between high school and college for kids that didn't quite know what they wanted to do. Like being a crop duster. Like being a crop duster, right. yeah. <laughs> That's another whole story because yeah. that wasn't his first choice, but it was probably what he was meant to do Got it. all along and we made him go to college. But yeah, we won't do that again. 
him. Anyways, our two daughters, um, second born and third born, had gone to camp and when they started talking about this starting this gap year. And what it was going to be was the first semester they were going to spend in downtown Denver and they were going to do inner city ministry, intercultural studies. Kind of kind of U.S. mission work. Yeah, at, yes, for the first semester. And they would have an internship in one of the nonprofits or we'll Get a few whatever. hours, and then exactly. when they go to college, they've got that experience. Right. Yeah, and there's a lot of kids had, do that. That's cool. Right, and they had to have plans to go to college. Basically, they had to have already, because they didn't want kids just coming and throwing away a year Squirrel. and then going, yeah. yeah. And then the second semester, they would go overseas, and they went to some really cool places overseas. But the first the first year that Shelby went, she, um, back up a little, little side story, we had started doing church or participating in a church that was called Church Without Walls in downtown Jackson. There was a church without walls, so a lot of street people underserved, and then I was also on the board at Area Relief Ministries in Jackson. So in Jackson, you were already working with homeless, underserved. Yeah, we had gotten people. to know a lot of the homeless, especially in downtown Jackson, and kind of knew the need. And also, can I tell you something? Yeah, Jackson doesn't strike me as a place where there would be a lot of homeless. Exactly, but, but I mean, for for those who aren't who are listening that aren't familiar with right. Jackson, I mean, Jackson is. What, probably 150, 200,000 people? Oh, not even that many. Um, 70, 75,000 now. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. a three or four exit stop on yeah. the interstate. It's it's nice. It's got it's got a small, a couple of small colleges, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's it's got some good schools and it's got some nice restaurants. But it's not a place that you would, it, it it's not. It's not the urban setting where you expect to find homeless people yep. in downtown or shelters. And so when I hear homeless in Jackson, I almost feel like that guy in the Andy Griffith show that would get drunk and check himself into jail. <laughs> yeah. The one homeless guy in town. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't think of that. But there's a community of homeless mm-hmm. in Jackson. Like anywhere between five and seven hundred people. That's phenomenal. And there's a couple tent camps. Um, we don't even at this point now it it's in the works, but we don't even have a full time shelter. So Area Relief Ministries actually has room in the inn where churches in Jackson volunteer to house. And right now it's only homeless men. There are a couple shelters for women that are not just drop in shelters, but more. Um, you have to actually be able to get in, which it's not real difficult. We don't, although I think over the last nine years since we started the cafe, I've I've seen a larger population of homeless women. Now, I don't know if it's just because I'm noticing them more, but at first, most of our volunteers that were coming in for a meal were, were male, so, and now we have so a lot the, of females. The, <clears throat> it, and so you're going to this church without walls yeah. thing, which mm-hmm. is basically a downtown Sunday worship mm-hmm. service pretty much open to everybody. Lay pastor that just basically he will tell you n- n- neatest, most humble guy, and he would just tell you that he was just there to tell people that Jesus loved them. To some um, people who probably felt like nobody loved them. Exactly, okay. exactly. So you're doing that. Simultaneously, so, yeah. your girls are in Denver. Right. S- screwing around. Them's... Can yeah. we establish they're screwing around for a year? Uh, yeah. P- playing around, maybe. Playing around. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Playing around is probably <laughs> Although they're term. actually 
awesome girls. I, I get say. it. I'm not saying they're not. <laughs> Listen, they were, I had one do a, a gap year. They were year. having the one best of mine did time. a gap year. She's a great girl, but yep. uh, she wasn't doing much studying. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, both of mine, believe it or not, were um, four o average in high school. Oh, my kid, my, then, my daughter was too. I'm just saying during the then, gap year, yeah, yeah. she was having fun. She built oh. some dams. Well, that's cool. No, she, say no, she was I'm not saying she didn't do cool stuff, but she wasn't studying. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah. They didn't have to study much. Yeah, no, right. I totally agree with you. So Denver. they're in Denver. Anyways, Shelby's in Denver. She calls me one day and she goes, Mom, we just went in the coolest place for lunch. She goes, it was called Same Cafe. She said it's an acronym for So All May Eat. And she goes, I'm not exactly how it works. She goes, but you can go in and you can, if you don't have money, so like, you know, it's near a homeless park. And she said, you know, people walk in and they can't pay. So they volunteer in the cafe for, you know, some period of time. She goes, I don't really know how long. And she said, or if you've got money, you can pay. And my first thought is, Shelby's a miser. Please tell me you paid for your lunch, Shelby. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> that child, if she had, I think she has the same two nickels that she ever <laughs> made when she was 10 years <laughs> Pretty old. Pretty tight, huh? Yes. Yeah. Anyways, um, she said, so really cool place. And she said, they had like two pizzas and two salads and two sandwiches. And that was it. But it was all real good and healthy. And I am married to a cardiologist and we do try to eat healthy most of the time. And she knew that would kind of get me. And she goes, and mom, she goes, I think you and dad need to open one. And I'm sitting there thinking. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Along with the thousand children you're exactly. raising, and exactly. the and the bus you're driving yeah. around to Walmart getting looked at, exactly. Weird. Let's start a restaurant. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Why not? So she said, "I think you need to start one." And I was like, "That was my thought exactly." Was I was like, "Yeah, Shelby, yeah. that's exactly what we need to do because you know we don't have enough to do. We, we got you so know? much free yeah. time. I've got so much free time. I'd love to do that, but right. that's not. But I started looking. I looked them up online." And started thinking about it and just started kind of thinking, you know, I really do love to cook, which I do love to cook. And can't be that much harder than cooking. And you've already been introduced (laughs) to the needy community in Jackson through the the stuff you're involved in. So it started wearing on your brain and heart. It did. It did. And then I found out that... These nonprofit donation-based cafes, I, I found out that they were nonprofit. Right. And I was like... We can do that. You know, I mean, we've got lots of kids that got to go to college, so I can't just throw, you know, all their college money away. But we can do this. I can raise money for a nonprofit. So went to, well, no, actually, when I finally started kind of talking more about it to my husband, and he was like, I think it sounds like a great idea. Let's find out more about it. Well, I called the head of the first, I don't even know what you'd call her, but she's received several awards. She actually, I think... For the same... Well, actually, not for same cafe. She owned the first nonprofit donation-based cafe that was out in maybe Utah. I don't know. One world cafe. Yeah, somewhere. You know, somewhere out there. And she had... She had shut down the cafe because she had started going and helping other people open open nonprofit Mm. cafes. And one of the first ones that she helped was this same cafe in Denver. So they actually are one of the oldest in the United States. And I think, let's see, I think they probably have been in operation for about 16 or 17 years now. Because I think they were about eight or nine years old when we opened nine years ago. 
Anyways, they were having this One World Everybody Eats Foundation weekend over Martin Luther King weekend that year, and I called this woman, Denise Serretta, to get some information about the cafes and how they actually, how to start them, and they were in the middle of that that weekend, and I thought, that's really weird. So anyway, she gets back to me, kind of explains a little bit. She puts me in touch with the woman from Same Cafe, and I just thought, we can do this. So I started kind of talking to some people in the community, and there was one woman in the community that I didn't really even know that well, but she was relentless. And I promise, I think I would have dropped the ball if she hadn't called me about every three weeks going, have you found a place It spoke yet? to her. Yeah, it spoke to her too. So anyways, about Nine months later, there we were, opening right before Thanksgiving. So tell me about the first day you opened up. First day. First of all, you had to be nervous. You had to be wondering in the back of your mind. Listen, Denver has two and a half, three, four, five million people to draw from. Yep. So I can see how in the larger cities this would go. Oh, yeah. But we're talking about a really small municipality here. Yeah. Yeah. And... You had to have been wondering, are people really going to show up and eat here? I, I really did wonder if people were going to show up and eat. And I also wondered, and, and, are, are we going to get in t- taken advantage of? Oh, I, I swear to yeah. you that question was coming next. <laughs> my my question, are, I, I would think, one, are, are people going to hear? Two, are we going to get taken advantage of? And three, again, in a large urban area, you have people who are more open and used to being around more homeless and disadvantaged and Mm -hmm. probably feel more pulled toward going and eating and paying more money. Mm -hmm. But again, in a a smaller urban municipality, I would think just the education of that need would be less. Mm -hmm. Am I I off? No, I don't think you're off at all. And I think in Jackson around that time, there was also this thought that I looked at several different areas of Jackson to put the cafe. Um, One was I thought, well, we'll have to be a destination, you know, that that people will be willing to drive to or we need to be in downtown Jackson or I need to be on a bus line. And something just kept taking me back to downtown Jackson. And if you know anything about downtown Jackson, it is being slowly rebuilt and it's a pretty cool place. And some money had just been invested or was being invested in the Jackson Walk. And we have a, you know, a whole new apartment complex and shopping and, you know, restaurants and whatnot. Was it like that nine years ago? It was, it was getting starting. It was, yes, it was starting. But people weren't going down there to eat. And not really, not really at that point. So you're going to open up a restaurant there. Yeah. And you're going to ask people who don't understand the homeless to come in and sit down and eat with them. Yes. Exactly. I just, so, I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. you had to have had some trepidation. Well, let me tell you one of my favorite stories, and I definitely won't mention any names. Um, but... Oh, come on. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I sat down with a developer in Jackson and said, hey, I'd like to talk to you. And I talked to his one of the guys that he works with, I said, I'd like to talk to y'all about putting in this restaurant, great, healthy food. We're planning just simple menu, menu will change each day. It'll be something like two soups, two salads, and two sandwiches. We're going to do as much organic and as much just really great, healthy food as we can get our hands on. 
as much locally sourced and organic. And they were like, yes, let's talk about this. So I went in to the meeting, and I had mentioned volunteers. You hadn't mentioned exactly where they were coming from, though. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So anyways, I start talking about this, and the guy even has his folder open. And he's saying, well, we could put you, I don't think that one of our... One of our storefronts would be large enough, but you could take two. And he said, I would need a five-year contract, and it would be X number of dollars. And first of all, I was like, five-year contract? I can't do that. And I was so scared. But the point (laughs) that just, oh, I, I, I don't even have words for it, was... This folder's open, and he's showing me all this, and he said, now tell me again how this is going to work with volunteers and what, you know, and I said, well, I said, you know, somebody comes in, needs a meal, doesn't have the money to pay for it, and he goes, whoa, he goes, like, like, the homeless, and I was like, yeah, the homeless, the underserved. And then he closes his folder. He closed his folder, doesn't even realize he's done it, and kind of pushes it across the, you know, midway across the table. And says, well, you know, I I just can't do it for less than this, and I'd have to have a five-year contract. And I was In other words, we don't want you. Exactly. And they were at that point, I'll be very honest, and I know this is a fact, they were trying to move the homeless out of this corridor in downtown Jackson. And here you are willing to set down an anchor to them. Right, right. So... Uh, one you public day, enemy number one at that I point. know, I was. And now we I kind of laugh about it because they come in to eat, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> hey, did you ever think that we would still be here or that we would be here nine years later and doing this well? Clearly And he was not. like, and, and he's willing to say, nope, nope, I really didn't think you would. Turning a naysayer into a believer. Now that's poetic justice if I've ever heard it. Guys, that concludes part one of our conversation with Amy Crenshaw, and I hope you'll listen to part two that's now available, as the story of Community Cafe is just getting started. But if you don't, make sure you join the Army of Normal Folks at normalfolks.us and sign up to become a member of our movement. By signing up, you'll also receive a weekly email with short episode summaries in case you happen to miss an episode, or if you just prefer reading about our incredible guests. Together, guys, we can change this country, and it starts with you. I'll see you in part two. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, 
We all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.